Good morning, East Point. Today's scripture reading will be in the book of Acts, chapter 21, verses 27 through 36. And God's word reads as follows. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeking him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another, and as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks, and when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd, for the mob of the people followed crying, away with him, amen. This, this week's account, as we are journeying through the book of Acts, is really one, one long narrative. And um, we're, we're going to see, as Paul records for us, uh, the arrest of, I mean, assume, excuse me, as Luke records for us, the arrest of the apostle Paul in Jerusalem. And because it's one long narrative, we, we see here in this narrative, this today, Paul's arrest, and later we'll see Paul's defense or his, his testimony uh, that he gives b- before the, the Roman uh, officials. We, we can somewhat call this week's sermon part one. We'll be, we'll be looking at this account again next week. The, the narrative picks up where we left off last week. It picks up with Paul in the temple. You remember he is in the temple seeking to complete purification rites that he was asked by James to complete. Remember Paul was performing these rites to appease some Jewish Christians who were accusing Paul of of telling other Jewish believers not to participate in Jewish religious customs, i.e. they weren't to to be circumcised or, or, or observe feast holidays. But as we noted last week, this is not Paul's intention at all. This is not what Paul was telling them. He was not telling them not to participate in these customs. He was just saying that 
observing these, these observances, these, these customs and these rituals were of no value as it pertained to their salvation. God was not going to love them any more or any less if they did not circumcise their children, if they did or did not observe the, the feast days. What was important? What was important, what Paul wanted them to understand and to know was that Christ had fulfilled all of the requirements of the law and that faith in him was necessary for salvation. Paul, wanting, as we learned last week, wanting to to be loving and to to bear with, with those who were weak, agreed to James' request to live according to Jewish customs while he was still in Jerusalem. And so in our text this morning, we find find Paul in the temple. He's in the temple living, seeking to complete these rites. However, what we soon find is that the persecution or the trouble that Paul was was seeking to avoid by living according to these Jewish rites, by living according to Jewish customs while he was in Jerusalem. He was trying to avoid these things. He, He really could not avoid them. Paul, Paul didn't go looking for trouble, but trouble soon found I think, I think there is a reason for that. I think there's a reason why trouble found Paul. But, but, we fo- but before we talk about that, this, this trouble that, that Paul finds while he is in the temple in Jerusalem, I want to look at something that, that struck me about this text this week. I mean, it just kind of, it just leapt off the page at me this week. And, and I pray, and I, I, I believe this is the reason why, uh, why we'll see why Paul found some trouble. Here's what struck me, and I pray, I pray that it strikes you. The gospel transforms sinners into saints. The gospel transforms sinners into saints. As I read over the events of of Paul's arrest in Jerusalem this week, that That is the truth that just kept jumping off the page at me. It just kept leaping off the page. As I meditated on this angry mob that was seeking to kill Paul, my my mind couldn't be helped but to go back to Stephen in Acts chapter 6. You remember Stephen? Stephen, he was the faithful servant of Christ, who who boldly sought to proclaim and to to preach the gospel and and how he was met with much opposition. He was was, uh, uh, met with opposition from the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, just like Paul is now finding himself. He was ridiculed and falsely accused. He, He was accused similar to how Paul was accused. Look at verse 28 in our text. 
this is the man, Paul, this is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. You know, that's the same accusations that were made against, against Stephen. If you go to Acts chapter 6 and verse 13, here are the accusations that were made against Stephen. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. The, the similarities between these two accusations, between these two accounts, is, is, is striking. But what is really striking is that the one being persecuted like Stephen is Paul. It's Paul who was once known as Saul. You see, what, what I can't get out of my head is that Paul, apart from the grace and the mercy of Christ, would have been part of this angry mob that is persecuting him. Apart from the, the grace and the mercy of Christ, Paul would have been part of this angry mob that was seeking to put him to death. Well, why do I think that? Because it was Paul who was there when the zealous Jewish leaders took the life of Stephen. Paul was there. The end of Acts 7 reads this. And, and as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. And the Bible says, and Saul approved of his execution. Saul approved of his execution. Saul was there. He was part of the angry mob that, that stoned Stephen. But here, in Acts chapter 21, now here is Paul, not the one doling out the persecution, but he is now on the receiving end of it. Quite a, quite a reversal, wouldn't you say? Quite a, a, a role reversal. I, I, I find it uh, amazing, brothers and sisters, the, the gospel has transformative power. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The, Jesus transforms sinners into saints. They, you have become a new creation. New. You ever, you ever put on new clothes? You feel new, don't you? you? You remember as a kid when you used to get new new shoes, new sneakers? You thought you could run faster. New. We are created into a new person. New, unrecognizable, transformed by the power of 
the gospel. Here is Paul transformed by the power of the gospel. But you're not only transformed, you're being transformed. You're being transformed. 2 Corinthians 3 and 18 says, And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. One degree of glory to another. Being transformed. Brothers and sisters, the the gospel, the gospel is the power of God. And that power is a transformative power. It changes lives. It it makes people unrecognizable. They're different. It's made you different. I bet, I, I can guarantee you there are, there are people in this room that, that if you would go and visit people that you knew 10 years ago, some of you even last week, they would say, man, you are, you are different. You, you're, you're changed. You're, you're not the same person. I, I remember people accusing me of being brainwashed. Because I was, I was different. No, brothers and sisters, I wasn't brainwashed. I was heartwashed. And it affected, it affected how I dealt with people. It, it was different. It, it, I was transformed. I was a new creation. The, the, the gospel it has transformative power. You don't, you don't have to just look to our own lives to understand this. We see it in the scriptures. We have a a clear and a prime example of the gospel's transforming power. We have it right here in the scriptures. There is no one else. I don't think there is anyone else in all of the Bible whose life was as drastically changed as the Apostle Paul. Do you understand that Saul was well known? Saul Saul had a reputation. He had a reputation, and, it, and, it, and it, wasn't, it wasn't a good reputation. You remember when the Lord saved him on the road to Damascus, and he, and he showed up. The, 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 the angel of the Lord came to Ananias and told him that, that he was to go and see Paul, or see Saul at the time. And, and Ananias says, wait a second, Lord. Uh, are, we, are we talking about the same Saul that, that I know? The one that is killing, persecuting, and killing Christians? That, that's the Saul you want me to go and see? Saul had a reputation. He had respect of the fellow Jewish leaders and led efforts to stamp out Christians. But get this, brothers and sisters. Nearly, nearly 20 years later, here is Paul in the same city he used to have power and influence in, unrecognizable. In in fact, he has a new reputation. He is no longer persecuting and killing Christian. Paul is actually one of them. He is a Christian. And he's repping Jesus. 
fall has been transformed. No, no longer was he sitting in the seat of scoffers or standing in the way of sinners, but, but his delight was on the law of the Lord. Here's Paul, transformed by the power of the gospel. I think sometimes we forget or perhaps we, we take for granted the transform, for, transformative power of the gospel. We forget. We, we, we take it for granted. We believe that people are too far gone to be transformed by the power of the gospel. And, and, and even far detrimental than that is we think that we're too far gone to be changed by the power of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, do you understand that Jesus transforms people? That's, that's, that's what he does. He's got a 100% track record. He, he doesn't fail. He doesn't try and transform people. He does transform people, sinners into saints. He who began a good work in you, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. God makes people over. They are different. They are made unrecognizable. Brothers and sisters, if God could save Paul, maybe that's just too abstract. Maybe we need to personalize it. If God could save you, if God could save me, then, then no one is too far gone to receive the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. Listen, I want you to, I want you to think of the worst unbeliever you know. The worst unbeliever you know. You, you just think, man, they're just way too far gone. There's no way that the gospel can transform them. Think about that person. Then think about them a hundred times worse. They are still not even beginning to scratch the surface of how far the grace and mercy of Christ reaches. They are not too far gone, brothers and sisters. Jesus transforms sinners into saints. The gospel transforms sinners into saints, and this text screams that fact. I just can't get over the fact that Paul, who was once a persecutor of Christians, he is now being persecuted, just like Stephen, just like the other apostles for him, persecuted. Paul was transformed. But as we have learned throughout the book of Acts, and it is no different here, the gospel brings trouble. The gospel brings trouble. It brings trouble. Brothers and sisters, the, the gospel that transforms is also the gospel that brings trouble. Uh, 
The transforming power of the gospel is indeed a, a, a glorious and a wonderful thing, but do understand it brings trouble. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. Understand this. Sometimes, sometimes you find the trouble. And sometimes the trouble finds you. Okay? Sometimes you find the trouble. There, there are just in some instances where you, you know you are going to receive opposition. You just, you just know it. If, if you are out protesting at an abortion clinic, you, you know that you're going to receive some opposition from that. If, if you are in Little Five Points and you give uh, a track to a Hebrew Israelite, you know a discussion is going to ensue. A debate is coming. Sometimes, and that's good trouble. Don't, don't think that's not bad trouble. Those are trouble things that we want to get into. That's, that's trouble we want to get into, right? That's trouble we want to find. An opportunity to proclaim the gospel. Sometimes, sometimes, we find trouble. But sometimes, as a Christian who believes the gospel, trouble finds you. You're sitting with your coworkers, eating lunch. And the topic of gay marriage comes up. Now you're sitting there minding your, your own business, you're, you're enjoying your sandwich. You're not bothering anybody. And somebody says, hey, I know you're a Christian. You don't like gay people, do you? Sometimes trouble finds you. Or it's a beautiful Saturday afternoon and you, you're getting some chores done around the house and all of a sudden the doorbell rings. <laughs> You open up the door, and there are some finely dressed individuals standing before you. They'd like to give you a, a Watchtower magazine and, and invite you to the Kingdom Hall and, and just subtly try to convince you that Jesus isn't God. Sometimes trouble finds you. You weren't asking for that, but trouble found you. Well, this time, that's what happens to Paul. Trouble found Paul. Paul was in the temple seeking to lovingly strive alongside the, these Jewish believers in Jerusalem, trying to fly under the radar. He, he wasn't trying to stir trouble. But what's so crazy about this thing is that that's not how Paul usually worked. Paul would oftentimes go into the temple he would go into the synagogues seeking to preach Jesus as the Messiah, and he would, he would go with the idea that he was going to stir up some trouble. But what's interesting about this time is that that wasn't his goal. He was going along with the, the flow, seeking to live according to the Jewish customs. But yet, trouble still found him. Some zealous Jews who, whom Paul had um, um, encountered during his days in Ephesus are now in Jerusalem, and they, they recognize him. They, they say, oh, there, there, there's Paul. 
we, we, we had a run-in with him in, in Ephesus. And, and so now I think we, we, we want to continue this debate that we've had with him. We want to put an end to his, his teaching. And because we're in Jerusalem, well, we, we, have a, we have an opportunity to get all the Jews that are here in Jerusalem. And we are going to be able to finally put an end to this Paul and to his teachings. They couldn't, they couldn't refute Paul back in Ephesus because they were outnumbered. But now in Jerusalem, they, 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 can certainly, they, can certainly handle, they can certainly handle Paul. So the Jews in Asia begin to rile up the crowd by accusing Paul of some significant, some significant charges. Here are the charges against Paul. One, that he is, he is speaking ill of the Jewish people and the Jewish uh, uh, religion and, and the temple. He's speaking ill of the temple. And, and also that he's defiling the temple. These are some serious charges. They, they say, especially the one where he is defiling the temple because they said that Paul brought a Gentile into the temple, past where the Gentiles can go. Now, brothers and sisters, this was a no-no. You, you, you could not do this. Gentiles going past the area where they were allowed was punishable by death. But Paul didn't do this. Luke tells us as much. This was a, this was a misunderstanding, but it didn't matter. These, these Jewish zealots were intent on charging Paul with a crime. Charges, these charges were, were false. But their strategy worked. It, it, it worked. The city was stirred up. Paul is, Paul is dragged out of the temple and in the middle of an angry mob of men who desire to kill him. I mentioned before that the, the events in Acts chapter 21 are very reminiscent of what we saw with Stephen in Acts chapter 6, specifically the charges that were were brought up against Paul. But I hope, but I hope you are also seeing the similarities between these events and the harrowing events of the trial and the subsequent death of our Lord. Are you seeing the correlation there? Just like Jesus, Paul is falsely accused for speaking ill of the temple. Just like Jesus, Paul is surrounded by an angry Jewish mob who is out to kill him. Just like Jesus, Roman officials are brought in to bring order and bring justice to the matter. Just like Jesus. Paul receives no relief from the Jewish zealots. In verse 35 and 36, we read this in our text. And when he came to the steps, Paul, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying out, away with him. Sound a lot like the mob that we read about in Luke, right? In Luke 23, in verse 18, as Jesus is before, before Pilate and, and he gave the, the crowd an option, 
you could either release Jesus or release Barabbas, the convicted murderer. And well, we read this. But the crowd cried out together, away with this man and release to us Barabbas. Away with this man. It's, it's the same language that Luke used describing Jesus' situation. And here is Paul experiencing the same suffering as Jesus. He is facing death at the hands of an angry mob. But please get this, brothers and sisters. Please understand this. That Paul was never, he was never more like Jesus than when he suffered like Jesus. It is in suffering for righteousness' sake that Paul demonstrated that he, in fact, had been transformed by the gospel. He was being conformed to the image of Christ from one degree of glory to another. You do understand that to share in Christ's sufferings is to be like him. That's what Philippians 3.10 says, but, but that I may know him, that, that I may be like him, that I might imitate him and, and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Paul was willing to suffer, to suffer at the hands of these men because he desired to follow in the footsteps of his Savior. Even more so, even more so what's happening to Paul is actually fulfilling the prophecy that was made to him back in Caesarea from, the, from Agabus. Agabus told him that this was hap would happen. His, his close friends told him when he got to Jerusalem, he would be bound. The gospel brought trouble. The gospel brought trouble. Does it bring you trouble? But perhaps the better question might be, how, how do you respond when the trouble comes? Do you, would you embrace it when it comes? Listen, brothers and sisters, we don't, we don't embrace the suffering. We, we don't embrace it because we, we like to get our kicks out of it. We don't welcome suffering because we believe it is somehow punishment for our sin. Don't think what is happening to, happening to Paul in Jerusalem is simply karma for him or for all the, the, the Christians that he punished before him. No. Paul welcomed the, the suffering and the persecution, and we should welcome it as well because in suffering, we are imitating our Lord. We consider it a privilege to suffer. Imagine that, a privilege to suffer. That's what's been granted unto us. That's what Paul tells us in Philippians 1.29. For it has been granted to you, given to you, granted to you. It's a privilege. 
for you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. That's, that's the privilege that we get as Christians, to not just believe in Jesus, but to suffer for his sake. I endure the trouble because it demonstrates that I have been transformed by the power of the gospel and am being conformed into the image of his son. The gospel that transforms. The gospel that transforms sinners into saints. And the gospel that brings trouble is also the gospel that teaches us how to trust. It teaches us how to trust. I don't think we can gloss over the fact that this situation for Paul, it was a a serious and and significant situation. This trouble that found him was no... It was no walk in the park. Here is a, a violent mob who is, who is surrounding him, and they've already begun to beat him, and he is at the point of death. He is looking death in the face. But through it all, Paul is unmoved. He, he's unmoved. He doesn't lose his temper. He doesn't, he doesn't put up a fight or, or get angry. And as we will see next week, Paul is actually quite calm in the midst of this situation. Why, why could Paul, on the brink of death, in the middle of a hostile experience such as this, experience such peace and, and such calm? Because the gospel had taught him to trust the purposes and plan of God. You know, we already learned that Paul was willing to be imprisoned and even he was willing to even be put to death for the sake and for the name of Jesus Christ. So whether or not he was delivered, whether or not he was delivered or died in this situation, he was unmoved. Why? Because he had an abiding trust in the Lord. He trusted the purposes and the plans of the Lord. Listen to what he tells Timothy. 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13. The saying is trustworthy. It is trustworthy for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure with him, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Paul trusted the purposes and the plans of God. I want you to imagine for a minute. I want you to think, to really deeply contemplate What would happen if you actually really believe that? Imagine living your life with an unwavering trust in the purposes and plans of 
God, that, that you really, you really actually believe that he was in control of every piece, every aspect of your life. Imagine that for a moment. Even the difficult things, the broken relationships, the lost jobs, the, the wayward and disobedient children, the difficult spouse, the car issues, the, the cancer, the death, all of it, all of it according to the purposes and the plans of God. Think of, contemplate that. What would your life look like if you really believed that? I bet you would have a peace that passes all understanding. Passes all understanding. I, I bet instead of seeking to get out uh, from underneath the trial, you would rejoice in the midst of it. I bet she would not only quote, but you would actually, you would actually believe that to live is Christ and to die is gain. If you trust in the purposes and the plans of gospel taught Paul to trust the purposes and the plans of God because in the gospel Paul understood that Jesus had died in his place. Jesus had died in his place. He died the death Paul nor any other human could die. You know what is fascinating about this account? You know what is amazing about this account? It is that the pagan Roman Gentiles are the ones that come to the aid of Paul and save him. The religious want to kill him, but the pagans save him. Just like Jesus. Just like Jesus. It was the pagan Roman Gentiles who tried to save Jesus, was it not? Pilate could find no wrong with Jesus. He could find no wrong with them. And he wanted to release them, but he, he passed the buck to the people. And we know what happens. The sinless Jesus is nailed to a Roman cross. He's crucified so that guilty sinners could be set free. Paul was saved, but Jesus wasn't. And you know what? That's the reason why Paul could face death head on with no reserve. With no reserve. He could, he could stare death in the face and not be fearful. He could face the persecution and not get angry. Because Jesus died the death that he could not die. Oh, oh, make no mistake about it. Make no mistake about it. Paul would escape death now. He would escape death now, but, but if you know your, your Bible, Paul eventually, he eventually does get put 
to death. But here is the glorious part. Here is the, the glorious part. Death for Paul no longer meant eternal punishment from God the Father. No, death meant eternal life and blessings with the Father. In my place condemned he stood. Hallelujah. What a Savior. That is how Paul could trust the purposes and the plans of God. Persecution, trial, and even death would not be the end of the story. It would not be the end of the story. Those things would simply be the means God would use to conform him to the image of his son, preparing Paul for eternity. Do you, do you trust in the purposes and the plans? of God. If you find yourself in Christ this morning, you have every reason to, to trust whatever comes, the trials, the persecution, the suffering, whatever comes, even death, you can trust the purposes of God. Because Jesus stood in your place. He stood in your place. If you're here this morning, this afternoon, and you've never trusted Christ, you know, there is coming a day when you will stand before the judgment seat. You will stand before God the Father, the righteous judge. And every sin that you ever committed, every sin that you ever committed will be there before, before everyone to see, before you to see, on full display. Guilty. Your, your good works will never outweigh your bad works. You will stand guilty before the just. you're here and you have not trusted Christ, I want to tell you that you too can face that day. You have an opportunity, you have an opportunity this day to prepare for that day because that day is coming for us all. You can prepare for that day today to turn from your sins and to run and to flee from Jesus so that on that day as you are standing there facing your sin you can say, bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with, my, with his blood. Hallelujah, what a Savior. How oh, we have a Savior in Jesus. Run to him. You can face your sin because Jesus bore it for you. And he stood condemned in your place. Hallelujah. What a Savior.